Hey, folks, welcome to the Encuentros Latinx podcast, where we explore stories of spirituality, identity, and culture from Latinx perspectives. My name is Taylor Amaj. I'm an author and editor, and I'm Puerto Rican. This podcast is a project of Encuentros Latinx, an LGBTQ ministry in the United Church of Christ. You know, I am always reading and always ready to drop a book rec for you here on the podcast. Today, I've got to tell you about The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. It's a novel in verse following 17-year-old Xiomara, who discovers slam poetry as a way of understanding her mother's religion and her own relationship to the world. I feel like no description can fully do it justice, so here is one of many quotes that made me think, if you listen to this podcast, you will vibe with this book. The weird thing about the Bible is that almost everything in it is a metaphor. So it seems to me that when the Bible describes church as a place where two or more people discuss God, they don't mean just the cathedral-like churches. I don't know what, who, or where God is, but if everything is a metaphor, I think he or she is a comparison to us. I think we are like or as God. I think when we get together and talk about ourselves, about being human, about what hurts us, we are also talking about God. So that's also church, right? I know this might seem blasphemous, but my priest tells me it's okay to ask questions, even if they seem bizarre. Maybe it's all right to risk a little blasphemy when attempting greater love and radical inclusion, which is a running theme in my conversation with today's guest, Alvaro Duran. We have a great conversation about the colonization of queer language and what salvation rooted in liberation looks like. He also shares all of the work he's doing in pastoral ministry and advancing LGBTQ rights in El Salvador. So let's get right into this encuentro. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Can you introduce us by giving us your name and pronouns? Yeah, I'm glad to do that. My name is Alvaro Duran, and my pronouns are he, his, him. Wonderful. And what country or countries do you and your family come from? It's very peculiar story because I am a com- I'm, I'm a combination between Salvadoran, British, English, and Spaniard. Mm. Yeah, and I kind of, of, of claim for myself some of all of those parts of that identity. It, it is a complex and rich tapestry, um, for sure. So what's a good memory that you have um, about any of those of those cultures or, your, you know, yourself, your family growing up, anything like that? You know, uh, growing up in El Salvador with a mixed race, the mixed culture, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's very peculiar. And also, you can see all the uh, around you growing up all the combinations and of the cultures around us because migration was um, was very important in the beginning of the twentieth century and it's mm-hmm. for Central America particularly. And it's very interesting. I would 
I would remember how how peculiar Christmases were for me growing up mm. because we would sort of have our, um, our small pieces of every tradition and everything. And com- when you growing up, when you're a kid, you don't understand and you tend to compare yourself with other families, right? What did mm-hmm. you do for Christmas? What did you do for that? I think Christmas would bring our memories and, and also will will tell you how different you are from other persons. It's, it's like when you're discovering mm-hmm. your sexuality and you start realizing that you're different than other people. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's something like that. I would say Christmas is Christmas um, traditions and Christmas food. It will, will make it different to others. Hmm. So different how? So th- what, what I guess was what you were seeing other people do Christmas, then how is Christmas for you different? Yeah, of course. For example, um, in El Salvador, traditionally, people would eat tamales in uh, for Christmas. Or we eat gallina, which is like a hen or, or wild wild chicken, uh, roasted or, mm-hmm. or in sauce, or like stewed in sauce. That will be traditional. But in my family, we would have turkey and with mashed potatoes and mm-hmm. or roasted potatoes. Mm-hmm. And then we will see... Food was very important and still being very important. And then uh, mm-hmm. you will see the differences there, the kind of dishes, the kind of food that we would have. And you tend mm-hmm. to compare and then this, there is this there is this thing that you want to visit your friends because you want to see what they're having for food on Christmas. And also mm-hmm. church traditions growing in the Anglican church, mm-hmm. which is, has an, a big mm-hmm. ethnical component too, into your religious tradition and into your culture, like having Christian mm-hmm. services that they don't have in the Roman Catholic, which is the predominant uh, religious tradition in Central America. So it's like that, mm-hmm. will, that would make uh, carols by candlelight services. Uh, this will be things that will make make it different. Hmm. Hmm. And so with that sort of mixture that you've already been experiencing, this term Latinx, when did you first hear the term? Is it something that you embrace as, as a term? Is it something that you struggle with? What is your um, h- how you experience yeah, it? Yeah, I've heard the first time the term Latinx, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, a year or so, a little, mm-hmm. a little, a little before I am um, in a year, mm-hmm. and it was very interesting for me. And I started questioning and what what is it the X coming? What the X is making here? What what does it mm-hmm. mean? And then when I was growing up. Uh, for a long time of my childhood, I didn't identify myself like as a boy or a girl or as a man mm-hmm. or as a woman. Mm-hmm. And I went into the non-binary struggle myself. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, I think and this is a very in the human condition of that we need to label the world to understand the world. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly I was assigned by society, by the people around me as a gay man. Mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with Salvadorian culture because it's a completely American thing. It's it's mm-hmm. American culture. I'm not a gay man because I'm not white, mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't have privilege, because I don't... I, I, do, I don't usually live in the first world, but I lived in Central. I would live in Central America with some other people that are mixed race with me, and we don't even. I mean, 
it's more common now in El Salvador to speak English, but it wasn't like when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. So people wouldn't know what gay is. We mm -hmm. have our own words, our own explanations, our own cultural mm -hmm. tradition about being non-heterosexual, mm -hmm. non-following the heterosexual norm and gender too. So it is. It was very peculiar, and I think it's open. It opens a gap. Mm -hmm. for Latino traditional Latine, Latinx mm -hmm. persons to understand, mm -hmm. to start opening the conversation. And, and I think it, it, it opens a gap in which we can be honest to ourselves mm -hmm. and not others label us, but mm -hmm. we understand who we are and we are and where we are in that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the term for the most part, does open up a lot of those possibilities. But then it's it's also really interesting. And I, I've asked different people that have come on the show who are, um, you know, more first generation, because I, I think that it seems to me that Latinx, even though the origin stories of the term, from what I understand, is that it actually originated in Latin America, it seems that a lot of people that I meet who are from Latin America or maybe just recently um, moved to the United States really identify the most by country. And it seems that when they cross the border into the U U.S. is when you become Latino, Latina, uh, Latinx, so on, so on and so forth. Um, is, is that something that, um, that you feel is in your experience as well? Of course it does, and it, yeah. and it has, it and it has to do with how societies are structured and mm -hmm. the intersections of race, gender, class, and everything that that crosses through our bodies and through our mm -hmm. spirits and through our minds. Mm -hmm. Because it's what I'm telling you. I never thought of myself again a gay man, mm -hmm. right? But then suddenly mm -hmm. I was assigned by society as first as a man, mm -hmm. number two as a gay man. It reminds me of the previous days in which a sexual orientation was understood as black and white, as heterosexual mm -hmm. and, and homosexual. Mm -hmm. And there is where all discrimination for bisexual persons was, mm -hmm. was a real struggle because of mm -hmm. this binary conception of things. Mm -hmm. and, and then uh, what suddenly it happens the same with culture. It mm -hmm. happens the same with race. It happens mm -hmm. the same with class. So I think it's it it has to do with with people opening their minds and understanding that we live in spectrums. Mm -hmm. No, it, this is not black and white anymore, mm -hmm. and it never has been that way. Right. So, um, I th I think it's so fascinating. Um, you know, you you say that you were labeled as a as a gay man but that's not actually the language that you use for yourself so what is the language that you actually use for yourself if you don't mind sharing of course not well i well i remember growing up in school and i have very clear this very this experience very clear in my mind and in my thoughts mm -hmm. when i remembered the first time i realized that girls and boys were different mm -hmm. and then when i was looking around myself and then I wouldn't fit with girls and I wouldn't fit with boys. Mm. And I and that was a struggle I, I had in my heart like for a long time. Mm -hmm. And no no I didn't speak with the people about this nor mm -hmm. we didn't have such thing as church uh, school counselors or I mean mm -hmm. We didn't have those resources back in the days, mm -hmm. and I think in most in most parts of Latin America we still don't have them, right? This is this is very new. Let's call it that way. I think they have the mm -hmm. opportunity of 
of question these things or discern who we are. Mm-hmm. But in but growing up, it's and it's it happens also with my religious experiences. I mm-hmm. remember I grew up in a conservative church, and mm-hmm. then I remember hearing horrible things about homosexuals being a mm-hmm. teenager. And I was I, and, and when I would hear that that hate speech from from sermons from the pastors, I would think, wow, these homosexual people is so horrible. Mm. Who are they? Mm, how mm-hmm. would they look? Mm-hmm. And then years later, I realized that the homosexual person <laughs> was me, and I'm like, oh, really, am I all that? So, <laughs> it's it's. I think it's a struggle of 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 forging our identity, who the people mm-hmm. say we are, who society tells us. In El Salvador, mm-hmm. my home, my home country, um, there's a traditional. Um, it, it you're not gay men, you're maricon. Right, and I know this can be like uh, it, it can be perceived as an insult for some people in some cultures, but in, mm-hmm. in El Salvador it is not. You're just maricon, right? Just and mm-hmm. and I grew up feeling myself a maricon and 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 being proud of being it, but suddenly no, I had it to to use the white label as gay man. I I was becoming a gay man, and I'm like, really what's mm. that you know and then mm. but it's very interesting because participating in 2016 with uh the latin american council of social sciences and the national university of el salvador with their genders uh study center we made like this research and we did this investigation to find out where lgbtiq persons were in latin in salvadorian literature and mm-hmm. culture since the beginning of the 20th century and in the rural experiences of our people we discovered that let's say no heterosexual persons mm-hmm. were referred as lenchos and lenchas so mm. when I discovered that, I kind of loved it because mm. I was honoring all my LGBTIQ, let's call them that way, ancestors. So mm. I always like to call, think myself as, as a lencho, right? Because mm. And people would say, ah, oh, did you know Juan? Do you know Pedro? Do you know who's this person? Oh, mm. see, sí, lencho. People would say, oh, you mean lencho or the Juan? That's just like saying the gay man, lencho is... Mm. So it's a very interesting when we think about identity, how it's our identities as persons, as human beings are molded, forged by culture and and how we live interconnected and in mm-hmm. a globalized world, how we are influenced, how our understandings of gender, our understandings of sexual orientation are affected by other mm-hmm. cultures. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. It's so it's so interesting, you know, hearing you give this um, this language because, you know, I feel like I mean, I, I hardly imagine um, what LGBTQIA terminology is in languages that aren't English. I mean, in Spanish, I, I know some like some are, are cognates. Um, between the English and the Spanish, but like queer folks have been around for as long as humanity has been around. And so, you know, cultures have have developed and acknowledged the, these identities in various different ways throughout time. And they, you know, they weren't, it wasn't always like, you know, you know, gay, bi, lesbian, like those, those are terms that developed in English speaking context. Um, and then that's kind of, 
exported everywhere else. Um, and it's just interesting to hear about... You mean neocolonization? Yeah, yes. Yes, exactly. The, it's it's good to hear about the, the language that existed sort of, I guess, before that exportation you know if that for for just lack of of better terms for trying to for trying to articulate this um I, I think that's beautiful and important and it does kind of remind me too a little bit of how in the transgender spectrum how two-spirit specifically is more for uh various uh native american um peoples as opposed to like like it's very specific to to that to that experience and i don't know if we really for for the other like letters of uh, the acronym, so to speak, if if we um, in the United States have much knowledge about that. Like I feel like people know people have heard about two spirit, but not um, any other terms from other languages or cultures that refer to this type of experience. Yeah, I'm very glad you mentioned that. And I want to say this also, I mean, the story, I mean, and our LGBTQ, and I think we all agree in using that acronym, right? LGBTIQ, mm -hmm. even if we don't identify it, but we agree that that means non-being heterosexual, right? Until we, yeah. we, I hope certainly with all my heart that there finally will be a day in which persons will not need labels. Mm -hmm. Labels to be understood or to be respected or to be mm -hmm. their dignity to be promoted. But but mm -hmm. still, we're in that struggle, right? But it's very interesting when we think about colonization and how mm -hmm. language colonizes our bodies and mm -hmm. how, colo how it colonizes our spirits. It's very, in, um, I come talking about two-spirit people and about mm -hmm. pre-Hispanic Latin America. I come from Cuscatan, which mm -hmm. is the actual the actual Mayan name of El Salvador, and mm -hmm. very interesting. I am a uh, we're people, people, and then we are Mayan descendant, and mm -hmm. we have a Mayan word for non heterosexual persons that is Culioni, mm -hmm. and then. Uh, but this, and, 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 and it comes again with the colonization of a language, you know, this term disappeared because all, and we know this because of, 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 of the way, I mean, Aviala, where, I mean, our continent uh, was colonized mm -hmm. in, our, in, our, in our indigenous and in our, our pre-Hispanic cultures were erased. Mm -hmm. They, everything, all of this was erased. And then, but reality emerged from, from, mm -hmm. from this delusion created by colonization. And then mm -hmm. we got lynchers and lynchers, but then mm -hmm. we are experiencing another wave of colonization coming particularly, you know, from, from, from countries and cultures that holds power. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the way that the, the way that the United States um, operates in Latin America is um, there, there's a lot, I mean, I only know a little bit of it. And I know that it is just so, um, it, it's so extensive, and it, it continues today. And, and it makes me so I haven't yet run into this yet, but then just going back to this this conversation about the term Latinx, because of the current and you know in recent history um, ways that the United States has um, interfered in various uh, things happening in in Latin America, that you know something as kind of small uh, as a term 
um, can seem like yet another example of further colonization, even though that sense is, uh, even though like Latinx, the, the term itself originated for, like from um, the community itself, but it, it has, people are kind of spreading this perception that um, that white academics made it up. And that's not from everything I have learned about the origins of the term. That's that's not actually where it's coming from. But at the same time, I can I can understand how people could easily come to that conclusion. And it's and it's really hard. And, and so then, you know, it's why I like to have try to have some grace for for people who are kind of like, I don't what, what is the, this term feels like it's English trying to do like, because I've had conversations like that about about this term. And it's like, yeah, and I've had I, I've talked to other people who are like, well, that's why like Latina putting the, the E at the end of it is is going to be folks are thinking that it's going to be more um more likely to be like standardized as far as Spanish language and and things like that. But yeah, it's it's um it's complex for sure. Certainly, it is a very it's a very complex issue. And as long as we don't forget how systems of oppression has used language mm-hmm. and how because you know oppression doesn't come only from those who who are traditionally have suppressed us, but fr- mm-hmm. from the oppressed. Too. Mm-hmm. So as yeah. long as we keep that, and, and Foucault taught us that, Paulo Freire taught us that, as mm-hmm. long as we understand and that we, if, if we're aiming, I would say how, what is the use, that will be my, my very, very last question about that, what is, what is it that we pretend to do with Latinx, what this term, mm-hmm. but if it mm-hmm. opens a conversation, if it's, it's, it's helping us to to, to deepen into conversations about gender mm-hmm. spectrum, about identity spectrum, I think mm-hmm. will be wonderful. Yeah, a- absolutely. So moving on to, we, we talked about this a, a little bit already, your experiences with spirituality and religion. How do those experiences intersect with your identity? Uh, we've already alluded to to this before. I'm, I'm sure you have a lot to say a- about that because it's... Um, <laughs> it's complex. It is very complex, and and I'm very happy we're having these questions because I think we Latinx people, Latina, Latino people, mm-hmm. we lack spaces in, in which we can be honest and speak openly about our sexualities and about our spiritualities and how mm-hmm. they intertwine and how they're how they're beautifully made in 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 every story I think it's sacred. Every mm-hmm. sexuality, every experience is wonderful. And myself in my case, well I I um I I grew up in a in a Christian context, you know, mm-hmm. Latin America colonized by mm-hmm. this, then England colonized, and then uh, colonialist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Christian, and in the whole Western Hemisphere where I grew up mm-hmm. in in Christian context, even if we're mm-hmm. not Christians, because of we decided to have that faith, but we mm-hmm. grew up in this Christian uh society you know mm-hmm. in in this christian context but then in myself as a christian and and mm-hmm. it was a very interesting thing for me because i grew up in church i grew up loving church but suddenly when my sexual orientation became um let's say more expansive when when mm-hmm. i finally started embracing who i was suddenly mm-hmm. church has no very beautiful things to say about me. And mm. then 
I have to say, was a reluctant Christian for a while. Mm. But then in my personal life, I discovered that Jesus was greater than the church. That mm. what God has made for me and what God was intending to do with me was bigger than the church. And then I started understand I, I started to understand the difference between the institution and mm-hmm. the difference between the community of Jesus, Jesus movement, or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And then I finally met the reason Christ in person. Mm. And 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 he seduced me with wonderful mm. words. Jesus told to my ear secretly, run away with me and mm. I will give you a life worth living. Mm. Run away with me and I'll take your place as you've never been. And Jesus told me, I have a life for you that is so abundant that is beyond what the world can say. And how not mm. to follow that, right? I know it sounds like very out of the box and very cliche, yeah. right? To speak about these mm-hmm. things and me being a Christian, but it happens to me that way. Mm. And then I decided to, I said, yes, who wouldn't be, right? Who wouldn't have, <laughs> Who wouldn't accept a deal like that? And then it's when all my journey of faith started as a Christian, as a Christian man as a Christian person, as a mm. Christian gay or, or mm. you know, non non heterosexual, mm. non binary person started. And then it was wonderful for me to discover that the mm. the God I believed in, the God um that I received in Jesus was bigger than anything. Discovering mm. that also I think another another thing that was wonderful you know, I've always heard horrible things of het- of non-heterosexual persons in church, mm. but I always felt that there was a disconnection between what the church would say and my own experiences of the divine in my life. You mm. know, I, f- I was able to feel God's love in my life, always being, pro- uh, being around me, protecting me, taking care of me, but never felt that God hated me, never felt that God mm. was had something against me, nor even because I was questioning my orientation or because I was questioning my gender labels assigned. Mm-hmm. And then discovering that actually the discrimination against non-heterosexual persons is based in a manipulation of mm. the church, of faith communities, of communities that are that this oppression is serving a purpose that is the uh, that we call systematic sin mm-hmm. in theology. Then I went to study mm-hmm. theology to say I want to understand this better because I mm-hmm. found liberation in Jesus. I found the true liberation for my soul, for my spirit, for my sexuality. Jesus has gave me all that to me, and I decided I needed mm-hmm. to go deeper and deeper and deeper into this mystery of liberation, mm-hmm. of unconditional love, because it's mm-hmm. mysterious to me until today. And then mm-hmm. I wanted to go there, and when I saw myself surrounded by the wonderful love of God, by His grace, I said I needed to, sh- I need to share this with everyone I love. And I decided mm-hmm. to share this with all my Salvadorian and Central American LGBTIQ friends. Mm-hmm. Because this is so great, it's so wonderful. Justice, it's 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 life-giving. Truth mm-hmm. is life-giving. 
and it's it changes and transforms your life it brings you to a different level of dignity it gives you mm-hmm. a life that is expansive that is abundant and i wanted that gift for everyone so being understanding uh this oppression or in understanding how religion has been manipulated has been instrumentalized by 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 capitalism necro capitalism and all mm-hmm. the systems of oppression and how they're how this is so different from what god intended to do for us humankind and 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 why jesus is calling us to make a difference in the world gave mm-hmm. meaning to my life mm-hmm. and that's been giving me meaning since 11 years ago that I've been working on on this. <laughs> that that's amazing and you know I I love how your experience of of Jesus um you know it led you down this path of studying theology. I maybe it's just my own like personal circles and of, of people that I know but I feel like most pretty much every single LGBTQI person that I know that I'm friends with, um, with, with some exceptions, a lot of them are, um, if they're not actually, um, like studying theology formally, they have in the past or they, they're like me and they just read whatever books, you know, they, they want to do for fun. And it's, it's interesting. I think there's so much life that is coming from like, LGBTQ spaces that are Christian spaces. Um, and the way, and I think part of it, and I've heard these, seen this conversation plenty of times before, part of it is um, a survival mechanism to, to study this stuff so deeply. I mean, yes, there is that element of being so mysteriously intrigued in it, with it and just wanting to uh, like learn how, like I, I find theology very beautiful like even the more like academic texts that i read um and some of like the old you know the old like church fathers and things like that it's just for for all of their like flaws or whatever it's just cool to look back at that history and be like this thing this idea that seems like it is this immutable doctrine that was kind of taught to me is like oh this is the way it it always is and it, it, it because because god said so really a lot of the god said so things it just boils down to one guy in like you know the second or third century who was who had a divine experience you know himself and was trying to put language to to understand that and i think that that puts such um on the one hand, I think that like opens it up for you to to engage with that material more, but then it also takes away the power of that idea to completely push you out of the faith when you're living today and that guy is living like a thousand years ago. And and I think just with with the way that the church has historically treated um, LGBTQI people that we have to be on our defenses. We have to, we're, we're better off defending ourselves against bigoted people if we know our scripture and our theology and our doctrines, you know, pretty well, because we can then respond to bad interpretations of scripture and all, and all these different things. So it's, it's just this really interesting mix of like beauty in, in actually experiencing it for the love of it, but also like the necessity of it as a protective shield. 
Yeah, it, it's very interesting that analysis that you have shared with me now, and and I think it will be it it will be very um, it will be very uh, um, light giving to all of us that are in this in this in this let's call it in this side of of, mm -hmm. of what we do for in terms of LGBTQ justice, and mm -hmm. in terms of 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 um, faith experiences and faith communities. But I also think that it's a matter of, for me, it was strategical too, because mm. I, what I've learned from liberation theology, what I've learned mm -hmm. from feminist theology, what I've mm -hmm. learned from queer theology is that the selfishness of capitalism can infect theology too. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 it can inf infect the church and that self-centered experience of the divine mm -hmm. is, is so horrible because there's mm -hmm. nothing beyond, beyond God's heart than individualism. And mm -hmm. we are meant to be saved in a bunch. Mm -hmm. We are meant to be saved in community. Mm -hmm. We are meant to be saved from ourselves, from capitalism, from our selfishness, from our self-centered lives mm. in a bunch. And when we understand that part, things start to change. And you want, mm. when we understand our core responsibility for the world, for the environment, when we understand our core responsibility for justice, for equity, mm. we are starting making the kingdom a reality. In, mm. in, in, in this. And, and I speak about this as a Christian, uh, but I'm pretty sure that all the religious experiences, all some other traditions, some other, mm -hmm. um, will will say it may be different. And, and, and I completely respect that. But this is mm -hmm. how I see it as a Christian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love how you say, you put that, we're meant to be saved in, in a bunch. And I, I want to put some extra emphasis on that because my religious experience, what formed me in my youth was definitely the, um, the individualism of, um, of white evangelical culture that says, you know, you accept Jesus Christ as a personal savior for your personal sins. And while I did have a spiritual salvation experience. Um, I like when people talk about, I accepted Jesus into my heart as, as a personal savior, that there is like a spiritual experience that I had at that moment. So I, I can identify with that specifically, but, um, but I, I do completely like gr growing out of that. I've, I've been out of that for, for many years and I've been in sort of a different theological space, but I can kind of reflect back on that. And it, it's like, yeah, there's, there is such a focus on, I'm going to call it the personal sins. And and these are things that they'll define that as like, oh, you're smoking and you're drinking and you're, it's, it's the things that you do on a one-to-one, -one, on a one-on-one -on -one level, but then, um, and, and then the individual, uh, Jesus saving you as, as a singular entity, um, is the absolution of all of that. But then there's no discussion of the, of the systemic stuff at all. Um, and it is so, I, I think it's, it's so enlightening to, um, 
to understand salvation as more of a corporate thing. But then also, I I also have this, you know, kind of like more personal idea that it's, it is also that one-on-one, those personal sins that build to the systemic sins. And so actually, um, what I what I would love to see, and I haven't quite seen it, is really a, a theology um, espoused by a, a church that truly um, combines both. Because as much as I love the, the UCC, it is more of a um, liberal and progressive denomination that is certainly more focused on the systemic level of, of things. And, and yeah, there, there also is like, you know, some focus on what individual actions we do. I just wonder if, if there, if we can just like take the, the like individual salvation theology and the, and the corporate stuff and, and meld it into something that is substantial, that doesn't, this isn't necessarily compromise anything, but actually like enhances both ways of like operating in the world. Yeah, I agree with you completely, because Christianity is meant to be understood or an experience that way. We mm-hmm. have a, we call it, right? And I go, I'm going by the book, we have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we have a community responsibility. I mean, mm-hmm. we find Christ in our in our neighbor, and we find Christ in who's next to us and, and the other person who is in front mm-hmm. of us. And... That's what church is meant to do. But we have to remember that church, and as you said, this is our community experience of of, 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 of humanity. We failed in doing that. And mm. the churches should be restructured, should be restudying. Mm. And I think that this is, this is a great challenge for mainstream denominations currently. How mm. do we get mm-hmm. to be relevant? How, this to, how we can get this message to everyone who needs it? I think mm-hmm. this is, um, I think we live in an era of discernment. I think mm. we believe in an era in which human beings are awakening and i always say this mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite of course my one of my favorite feasts of the year is easter and i mm-hmm. always tell to my community of faith jesus resurrection is awakening to a new conscious is awakening to a new mm-hmm. reality is awakening to see a world in a different different level different place resurrection to Christians mean as that our hearts, that our spirits are coming into new and uh, to a new life. Mm. So it's, it's I love this 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 song by the community of Tase, Despierta tu que duermes, levántate mm. de entre los muertos, y Cristo te alumbrará. In 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 we live in an era of discernment in which we need to be awakened. Do we mm-hmm. need to come and resurrect with Christ? And and we need to be resurrected in our minds. And then people most most of the time and, and it happens to Christians around, everyone is concerned about the resurrection of the body and how is mm-hmm. it that we're going to resurrect? And I'm like, why are you thinking about that? I mean, mm-hmm. awaken now, but you should be awake now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it, 
you we have to see the world around us and understand and awaken from this this uh, poisonous dream in which this capitalism and this system of oppression this of this structural sin systematic sin has put us on mm -hmm. to sleep and awaken mm -hmm. to god's dream awaken to god's reality and the realities of the kingdom yeah very very well put um, and you know, it's, it's interesting cause like I have my own personal ongoing existential crisis. Um, but yeah, the uh, part of how I want, sometimes I can get into a space where I'm looking at that as like, well, how many times in my life already have I died and come into a new way of being or a, a new way of, of understanding? And so therefore why is the quote, final death at the end of my life? Why is that necessarily more terrifying when I have already died and been uh, resurrected or brought brought into a, a new awakening? Um, I, I can now, when I put it in those terms, I can think of, you know, ways that I've already gone through that. And so then, so then it does in some ways, when you put it that way, make uh, make death and the, and this question of the, the literal resurrection of the body, it's, it's sort of, um, makes it a little bit less scary to think about because it's like, well, this has already happened. It's just when it happens then, it's going to be a little bit different. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's just like it's not necessarily minimizing it per se, but it is um, making it less uh, less terrifying or, or less urgent than anything else that is actually happening in the living world. <laughs> Yeah, I would question everything in church or everything that comes from God that would terrify me. I mm. would, I, I, I would uh, uh, restructure or re-read those parts of faith or things that we agree sometimes and that we receive as just as a joke mm. into our faith and into our spirits. And mm. because my experiences of Jesus, my experiences of the divine, my experiences of the Holy Spirit. I've mm. not been in reality, but love, but grace, but liberation, mm. by freedom, mm. peace. So I would question all the rest. Mm -hmm. And it's it's so much easier said than done. Um, I know. So many, yeah, so so many of us come from, and I I still struggle with this to to this day, where the way that we're that we're taught, for example, a lot of things in the old testament a lot of the um a lot of the, the anger and the and the wrath of of god um it's so hard to sometimes to step away from those interpretations of those stories that we were taught um to number one try to understand the fuller context of the culture and the type of literature that those that those books actually are um to number one to understand that and then and then number two, to then at the same time not like not misinterpret what that text or that story is saying to make it to make us feel better about it. Because, um, you know, if God actually is like angry or wrathful in that moment and that's the right like interpretation of that of that specific story, then to, then to say like, well, it's actually not that that seems to be going like the wrong way in the other direction. Um, there's like a, there's an emphasis on the, on the anger and wrath, which is not helpful, but then it might not also be helpful to do an interpretation that maybe we like and, and can get our heads around, but isn't actually true of, of the text and the people who were, 
um, who are writing that um, in, in the culture and time period that they were writing it in. So it's always that, for me, always that unknown and, and that tension, because like, I, I study this stuff casually, like I'm not in I'm not like doing this for a, a degree or anything, but I do like to read theology texts and I like to, you know, uh, just do all, all, all of that stuff. And so there's like all these weird, um, these weird gaps that I, that I have in, in my own knowledge. So I just think about that a lot sometimes too. Yeah. It's very interesting when I, I've worked with a lot of people that come from the evangelical context and it's, mm-hmm. it's very intriguing to me sometimes in, when we speak about the place of a Bible in the life of a Christian person, and mm-hmm. the le- I, w- I wouldn't say the authority of the Bible, but I mean the actual place in which we have the Bible as as, as Christians and as LGBTQ mm-hmm. Christians, mm-hmm. because in not being a UCC member, it's yeah. I loved. I think one of the biggest contributions so far from UCC, you will mm-hmm. not believe it, to my spiritual life, to to mm-hmm. my Christian life. It mm. was one phrase, mm. and it was God still speaking. I remember mm-hmm. when, when UCC launched that campaign, mm-hmm. and it, it cannot be true. And that mm-hmm. single phrase can be life-changing. Yep. You know why? Because we need to understand that the Bible is not the Word of God. We need mm-hmm. to understand that the Bible contains the word of God, which is different. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we have to understand that the true word of God is Jesus. Mm-hmm. For he is the word and he was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. In the pericoles and in the, in the loving experience of a triune God. Mm-hmm. And he is the true word of God. So mm-hmm. if we want to know to LGBTIQ people than to any other person, we need to know what God is saying to us. It's good. The Bible is a reference and, and we cherish it and we believe Bible is authority and doctrine and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But most important, what is God speaking to us in our everyday life? What mm-hmm. is it that God is telling us in a, through our relationship with others? What is it that mm-hmm. God is speaking through our relationship with the environment? What is it God mm-hmm. that is telling us in the most? We believe as Christians. We don't believe that God is trying, that the God is Trinity, but we experience God in a Trinitarian way. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. believe we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it a mystery of our faith? Right, mm-hmm. we're indwelled by the Spirit, and Pentecostals mm-hmm. will agree with me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, what is God speaking to our hearts? Mm-hmm. Most important, because God's mm-hmm. still speaking, isn't right? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The the UCC is probably the the denomination with the catchiest slogan and the coolest logo. Um, I, you know, I don't know um, any other denomination that has quite, that has a, a catchphrase that um, quite uh, sticks on the, on the ear as others. Um, so you're not in the UCC, but there is work that you are, that you are doing. So what, what is this work that you're involved in? Tell us about it. Yeah. Let me tell you a little about my work. I'm, I'm in El Salvador. Well, I am, 
I am a pastor, as I mentioned, and then I'm the first openly gay, or let's call it gay, I mean, the first mm -hmm. openly LGBTIQ religious mm -hmm. leader in El Salvador. And mm -hmm. then I pastored this LGBTIQ um, community that's called uh, the community of Magdala, La Comunidad de Magdala. And then uh, I have been a human rights advocate in El Salvador, and I've been working not only promoting human rights from a faith-based uh, from a faith-based approach, but also by promoting secularism in El Salvador, which is very peculiar, right? How is it that we have a religious leader that is questioning the privileges of a church or from religious structures? So we have been working promoting secularism to provide to pro to promote secular public service and to um, break the barriers based on religious prejudice so that, that allows access to some LGBTIQ persons to access at least their human rights, their basic rights. Mm -hmm. And then I've been working wonderfully with Ministerio Latino with this, is this initiative from Clement UCC in Oakland, California. Mm -hmm. And we have been sharing for two years wonderful space trying to understand the experience of, of Latino, Latinx persons in the U.S. and mm -hmm. the origin needs that we have and the UCC has and the old Christians have to address the needs of this particular, particularly marginalized communities around mm -hmm. the spectrum of a church. So mm -hmm. it's been a wonderful experience and Reverend Rina Ramos, as you mm -hmm. you may know her, or you might yep. heard of her, you know, <laughs> she's very famous. And then yeah, it's, very famous it's, on this podcast. <laughs> I know, and she, we have been working with her wonderfully and we've been able to to see and experience what God is making in our lives and the lives okay. of others. Mm. That, that's beautiful. And and that leads me perfectly into another question I, I want to ask. Um, sure. What is it? I always try to think of like a good way to, to phrase this question because it's, it's so complex. To you, what does a church that fully embraces Latinidad, Latinos, Latinx, what is a church that, that does that? What does that look like to you? Mm, well, I believe in language justice. And I know it's difficult to live in a country in which all so many cultures, so many languages are are participant uh, participating in in church community life. You know, we have we mm -hmm. have we have Asian Americans, we have African Americans, and then we have Latino Latinx, and mm -hmm. it's it's very complex. I would say that. I think that reimagining how we're making community and reimagining how are we how are we making the experience of church for persons I, for everyone and to, to make everyone feel welcome and and actually for everyone to find a place in Jesus table is is, is quite a challenge. It's not yeah. easy at all, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a quest that we can face with love that mm -hmm. with. Trying to uh, keep in mind the importance of equity and justice, mm -hmm. and it's a place in which I mean, a church. I mean, f church first should be understand first as a community of Jesus, mm -hmm. as a premise of a kingdom, as we believe. So mm -hmm. all the ideals 
you know, the paradoxical way of living that Jesus presented to us and invited us to live should be present mm. in faith communities. Mm. If we don't have him there, then we're failing into that radical mm. love, radical inclusion, radical acceptance. It's radical justice. Mm. And I, I know it sounds like pretty easy to say, but it's very difficult to to mm-hmm. comply with radical love, radical justice. Mm-hmm. And faith communities should be seen, I believe, as gymnasiums, you know, like a dojo house in which you come mm. and, and you come here to put in practice everything that you learn. You're exercising your faith. Because mm. we are, we need all to question our privileges. We mm. all need to question and to be in to have this true conversation first with ourselves and then with the rest of the community, and to mm. see what part we play in systemic oppression, what part we play in this. And, mm. and uh, as I've said before, resurrection needs the awakening into a new consciousness for Christians. Mm. And mm. we need to be the community of the resurrection. We are not Good Friday people, but we are Easter mm. people. And even mm. better than that, we're Pentecost people to bring mm. justice into the world. Mm. Mm? And to make the kingdom a reality in the world. Mm-hmm. And in that day, and when the church faces this challenge and the church itself questions their privileges, their mm-hmm. systemic oppression, their hierarchy, because that's a big problem with churches and, and, mm-hmm. and hierarchy and power and privilege and justice and access. And and what about persons with disabilities? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very quite complex issue. Mm-hmm. But I think this when we are aware that we're people of Easter and people of Pentecost, and that we're making the kingdom happen here in the world and that our faith communities are the premise of the kingdom, and in 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 the grace of God and the kingdom of God becomes reality in our lives. We're ready mm. to change the world. Yeah. Well, where can our listeners find you, uh, your social media, any anything that you can uh, provide that people can follow? Yeah. Well, actually, you can find La Comunidad de Magdala on Facebook, right? We have Instagram and uh, we have podcasts. To on Spotify, you can listen to our preachings in Spanish, right? You can listen to, uh, you can catch up with our activities in La Comunidad de Magdala in El Salvador. You can contact Ministerio Latino and Reverend Rina Ramos if you want to know what is exactly that we're doing here in the United States. And then uh, we are, you can look for me on Facebook too, Alvaro Duran, and you can look for me on Instagram. And um here you can find us you can find la comunidad magdala or you can find libres en cristo that is libres en cristo cristianos cristianas y cristianes lgbtq from el salvador in central america there is this wonderful organization that is trying to connect leaderships through central america and to connect and make this radical inclusion radical radical affirmation of lgbtq identities faith-based in central america you can find us on facebook too Amazing. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to to share all of your experience and have this wonderful conversation. It's been a real pleasure. It's been. Uh, I'm I'm very glad and thank you for having me here. 
Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. On behalf of Encuentros Latinx, we hope you'll join us on our next Encuentro.